I do want to start the recording and the streaming for Facebook now, if that's all right with you guys, okay? Thank you very much. And so I just, look, I was in Wyoming, and so I just had this thought that the way to, for me to come back would be to share with you this. Do you love these pictures? <laughs> Where the longhorn cattle feed on the lowly Jimson Back in That's me right there. <laughs> so anyway, uh, if you wanted to know what I was doing, I just feel like I should show you, and it was really nice of Jackson Hole Ski Corp to actually put together a little video of me skiing. So I just wanted to show you what I've been doing for the last three months, okay? So it starts with, see, this, this is from Jackson. And so it starts with a nice little easy beginner run, you know, something that just sort of, you know, to get you, get your, get you going and stuff like that, get your legs going, get your mind into it, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's a, that's a green or maybe a blue in Jackson, you know. And then, and then once, you get, once you get the day going, now you start doing really, you know, more aggressive things, you know. And then, and I just want to show you what really, this is probably a blue run in Jackson, you know. So I just want to show you what that looks like there. And then once you really get going, you know, after lunch or something like that. This is, by the way, from the outside. That's that green or maybe blue run there. And then after lunch, you know, after you've had a beer or something and you're loosened up. Then, then, you know, you do something like, you do this, see? And that's what I would do after lunch every day. And I want to show you what this looks like from the actual cam on my helmet. Okay, see that? <laughs> see that? All right, all right, what do you think? Good, huh? Yeah, yeah. And then just one more time because, you know, come on. All right, and then at the end of the day, you do what we call glory laps. Your legs are tired. You don't want anything too tough. So you just kind of, you know, now you're just kind of grooving and going fast and, and just having a little bit of fun. So that's, that's what that looks like. And that's basically what my days look like every single day in Jackson. Okay? Do you like that? Okay. Now, for those of you who don't know, that wasn't me at all. <laughs> there wasn't even one clip of me doing that. I do want to say, when I was younger, A, we didn't have the equipment to do that stuff. But I did the, the equivalency of that stuff when I was younger. But I'm not young anymore, but I was really happy. If you want to see, and I'm being serious right now, if you want to see what I got to do a lot of, and there's a reason why I'm showing this, I'll get to it in a second. But if you want to see, this is really, and this is not a joke, this is actually about what I look like when I ski. This is a younger guy, but this is, this is a run in Jackson that I would take every single day towards the beginning of the day. And I basically, that, honest to goodness, that's basically what I did for three months, okay? That's a run that goes from the top of Thunder Chair, if you know Jackson, down into Sublet. And it's just a really good, by the way, you see that wind there? Jackson is such miserable weather. But uh, it, I mean, I've never been colder in my life. But just going really fast, that guy's probably going 45, 50 miles an hour right there, downhill speeds, get into the 80s. But he's cooking, and you're just flying down the hill. And like I say, I, I really did do that. And, and I want to say something. Uh, all, a lot of people here have done stuff when we were kids that, you know, is who you are in your mind. 
It's not who anybody who knows you later would think you to be because they look at you and they say, there's no way you did that. You know, and right? And, and some people actually work really hard physically and so on, and they keep doing that their whole life. But most people, you know, you just get to another phase of life. And the thing that, like, this is what I dream about still to this day. When I think about myself, other than God, it's skiing. When I think about who I am and what I do and what I like and everything else. But the, th but the thing is, you don't get to go back and do that particularly when you're substantially overweight and phenomenally out of shape and all that kind of stuff. And the truth is, because of you, because of your grace, because you said, take some time and enjoy. 20 years, it's good. Go, have, go enjoy yourself. And I started walking upstairs 14 flights every day and doing all kinds of stuff. And I got out there and I got to do that. And that's just not something that people get to do. And I want to thank you for letting me relive Glory days, things that I love, and just do it. I, I tell you, I think even God got sick of how many times I said hallelujah. <laughs> I'd be sitting on some run, and I would look out over this valley, and I would just go, praise you, God. This is amazing. Thank you. It, it, never, got, it never decreased from the first run to the last. I would just find myself just praising him. And I want to thank you for letting me do that. It's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you for grace. Now, that's the sabbatical part. There were two parts to our time gone. It was parental care and sabbatical. We've already talked about parental care. I don't know if my folks are watching or not, so I need to be a, just a little, not need to be, but I would be, uh, just a little careful about what I'm saying. Many of you have parents who are in their 90s, and as my dad often says, he said, if I'd have known, and he was, he's really not joking when he says this, he means it seriously, even though it's a joke. But he says, he said, had I known how truly difficult it would be to be this old, I would have eaten a lot less oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a picture of my folks. And this is when they were quite a bit younger. This is literally probably 15 to 20 years ago. So you got to add a lot of years on that, even though they still look roughly the same. That's an amazing thing about the two of them. But I'm one of the fortunate ones. I had superbly good parents. That's not really that common, unfortunately, anymore. And that's a tragedy in the world. But I had superb parents who poured into me throughout my entire life in ways that were extraordinary. And I was just blessed. And thank you, God. But this is them. And again, without, without going into too much detail, there are moments in life and most of the time the moments are missed because we're busy because there's no way you can go for three months and be with your folks how many people in here would love to be able to do that and there's just no way your job is not going to let you go for three months and it was particularly in the winter which is particularly difficult it, my dad growing up in Mexico and just having a really strong sense of caring for and taking care of people. My dad has hated every winter he's ever been in Jackson Hole, which has been almost 45, 50 of them now. And he hates them. It just, he gets unnerved because he gets snowed in and he can't control the environment. And it's just very, very difficult for him. And then, uh, again, carefully put, my mom who has mentored hundreds if not thousands of women I mean, intimate 
close. There's people in this room that have been mentored by her in various ways and who has always had a gift of the word. Uh, now, you know, can't talk. And uh, again, many people know what this is about. You, you're experiencing this. You know what I'm talking about. And it is super tough. It's super tough to see them going through that. But let me be clear. You know, I get that there's a ravage of something happening to her. But at this point in time, somebody needs to be with her pretty much all the time. I mean, for short periods of time, somebody in the house could go into another room. But that's about it. So we had to be there. And Julie, I want to say to her enormous credit, did a lot of that. Watched Anne with an E with her and just all kinds of stuff and just just really ministered to her. But the, the truth is, as much as she needed somebody to be with her, the bigger thing that we did on this trip, and I knew it going in, was actually him. Because this is what my father and mother, this is where they live, and this is just it's just an unbelievable place. The house is over to the right. It's a modest house. It's a log cabin. It's very nice, but it's not anything fancy. And then the big cabin, all the way over to the left, the big cabin, that's where we stayed. And then there's the middle, and then there's the little, and there are caretakers that stay there, but, but they can't do it 24-7 either. It's way too much work for one couple to do at this point in time. And the, the point is, though, that I want, what I want to show you is, is my dad retired early in his 50s, and they moved to Jackson, and for, for almost 40 years now, this is what they've been. They had a really cool ministry for a long time where missionaries and ministers that could not afford to come to Jackson would come and stay in those cabins for free. And they couldn't afford to be there, but they would have them come. These are people who sometimes it was somebody's name that you would recognize, but most of the time it was somebody whose name nobody's ever going to recognize besides the few people that know what they do. And they make an enormous difference in the world. And my folks just took care of them and made this place available for them. It's an amazing thing. And they just poured out their lives for them. But here's what I want you to see is, is that picture right there probably sums them and their relationship up and how it's been for 60 years, 70 years. They've been, they got married in their 20s. They're in their 90s now. And they have been that close the entire time. And for the last, like I say, 30, 35 years, it's just been the two of them like this. And again, being careful. But I just want you to feel something. It's important for what we're doing. But, you know, his... The thing that happened throughout the time that we were there was is the despair that he feels over losing his other half, his soulmate. They can't really communicate. They can't. So she's there, but it's a despairing for him. How could God let this happen? Why can't he just take us? That kind of thing. So that's what we did. And I, you know... Here's what I want to say to you. This is why I say this. You're the ones that let me have this moment. Do you know how easy it would have been to say there's no way I can leave the church for three months and go do this at this critical time when you're snowed in and stuff? Do you know how easy it would have been? It was so hard to say, no, I'm going to go. This is important. 
to recognize a moment that was coming and to embrace it fully, and then to be able to have a family that said, we think that's important too, go. We'll take care of everything, just go. This is probably one of the most important moments of my entire life. It definitely ranks right at the very top of any list that I would have about what's important in life. These two people that poured into me for years, we were able to pour into them and bring joy and bring hope and bring something that was easing a pain. And I got to do that because of you. And I will never, ever, ever be able to thank you. I'll never, God, please, pour back into you what you poured into us. And may every person here get to embrace those moments. Because, right? This is what a family looks like. This is what a family is. And this is what you have been to us and for us. And I just, I already loved you, but thank you. Um, there are a few people that I need to thank personally. There's more than a few, frankly. It's probably 80% of the people sitting in this room. I should thank you by name, but let me just do something quickly. There's a lot of superhero woman movies coming out. You know, Wonder Woman sort of kicked it off, and now there's Captain Marvel and so on. Uh, Julie Jenkins is a woman superhero. She's a superhero that happens to be a woman is probably why I should say that. Uh, her capacity and her ability is extraordinary. And it just made things work in ways that are incredible and I don't need to be around at all for that. I wanna say Justine just knocked it out of the park. Just amazing. And it wasn't just the preaching but it was important in the preaching, and you'll see this in the sermon that I'm about to do, and I hope I get to it quickly. But what you did in that idea that you had about what we should be doing, you'll hear in the sermon, so God. Now, you got to experience it, and so do we. We thought that we would spend the entire time, we have a lot of friends in Jackson, and we thought we'd be going around to the various churches where they are and experiencing their church and saying hi and going to lunch and doing all that. We found ourselves not wanting to do that at all. We found ourselves wanting to stream what was coming next because we were just enjoying what was happening here so much. Kevin, you know, I mean, I'm praying because, you know, you just what you bring is so important and God help us figure out what to do with that in a way that just makes the most difference that can be made. Because you, just last week's sermon was phenomenal, as were the others and so on. Robert Kelly, uh, you don't have anything on your plate. You don't have anything better going on, you know? <laughs> I mean, that guy worked so hard, it's ridiculous. And what you did was extraordinary. What you guys brought in terms of the will and the heart and the word of the Lord was extraordinary. And I, along with everybody in here, wants to say thank you for that. Extraordinary. Thank you. I want to say, Wanda Fisher... Yeah, 
she just, you really have to do yourself a favor and work with her about, with something on something somewhere at some time. Because what, what you will find is a woman that brings a godly peace into everything that's happening. It's, there's things still move and she just brings this peace. She just makes the moment better. And it's extraordinary what you do. And you bring this, the heart that we want to be. Speaking of the heart that we want to be, Chris Maddox, thank you for the ministry. You know, this, you manifest the very heartbeat of God to so many people in so many ways. And you just do so beautifully. And I thank you. We all thank you. I want to say, Adam Carpenter, I love what you do. You know, you've just been fantastic. I don't know where you are. There you are. Yeah. And you just do such a great job. And thank you for making things work and, and for taking some stuff on. Just saying, you know, we need to be doing something and taking some initiative and getting some things going and all that. I love it. Thank you. And I do want to say, Becca Jo Moore, I don't know if she's here. I think she might be back over. But, oh, there you are. Hi, Becca Jo. But, but. But Becca Jo is, she's sort of Julie Jenkins' younger. Uh, she's just a power. She's a force of nature. And what she did in order to make things work when Julie was gone is extraordinary. She took on all the things that she was doing, didn't let anything drop, and took on enormous weight of a lot of the things that Julie does full time. So thank you. Uh, that's the staff. I do want to say, Carol Miller, you keep doing it, and counsel, thank you. There were things that happened when I was gone, as would happen. Things that needed real decisions and real moment and real thought, and thank you for not calling me. Okay? Seriously. It would have given me cortisol, which I was trying to get rid of, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. And the council just stepped up in extraordinary ways and made sure that everything here is very sound. Okay? That doesn't mean we don't still have to always make decisions. We do. But I want to thank you for that. And I also want to thank the elders. They're, it's not obvious what they do. But if you took it out, it would be completely obvious what they do. The way that you cared for people, the heart that you had, the things that you brought, the way that you brought them. Thank you to our elders. You guys, I didn't ever worry a minute about something that might happen that you wouldn't cover it completely, and you did. So thank you for your love and your care. Now, from there, I could go into Veronica and how much she stepped up for things of Julie, you know. And I could, I could just keep going and going and going. I'm going to, for the, for the sake of everybody, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to do this. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you for this family. Thank you for the extraordinary people that you have brought here. Thank you for the way that you have gifted them, the way that you have empowered them, the way that you have anointed them, and for the way that they execute and that they hold the things precious that you hold dear and that they manifest your heart that we were gone and we didn't skip a beat. The heart of God continued to beat in this place and to make a difference in the world. Thank you, God, not just for staff and the ones I mentioned, but for every person in this place that stepped up and went the extra mile and took the extra steps and did the things 
that you were leading them to do in order to make this your home, to make this your people, to make this your will being manifest in our world. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, what I ask for, having been blessed like this, I ask you that every person that sacrificed anything that would return to them a hundredfold, that they would get time, that they would get the moments, that they would have your presence in their day, every day, in a deeper way, because they stepped up and were your children and your servants. They were obedient to your will and your heart. Thank you in Jesus' holy and precious name. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people, your family. Thank you, Lord. Amen. That was the prayer for the sermon, too. Uh, Christy Davey, of course, of course. Thank you, Christy. They, they're just just—they're saying, Christy Davey, I got to thank. She is, um, by, by the way, I just want to say, I looked at the, the thing, better than ever, the stuff that you do on the sign and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if that's you or who did that, but I looked at them, I just went, these are really good. <laughs> so thank you, Christy, for what you're doing and what you're giving to us through this. And that would include Dee Woodbury and just so many people. But having said that, I, there's one last thing I have to do before I get the sermon. I'm going to keep this short, but I got to show you one last thing. And that is, welcome Carter Wright Ryan, who is, who is grandchild number two in Chappelle and Tyler's family. And uh, how's that for a look? Huh? And he's just the coolest thing in the history of the world ever, period. You know, no stop. Okay. And this is us right there in the hospital. And we got to be there. And that's, that's Piper who owns me. I just want to make it clear. And then, and then Carter and, and right there in the hospital. And we got to do that. And we got to be with him two different times in February when he was born. By the way, born six months to the day from Piper. Now, as a mother, how would you like that? A, you don't have to remember the birth date because <laughs> it's the same one. And B, exactly six months apart. So if you want to do something different or special and all that kind of stuff, so, you know, Chappelle is just living some, some blessed life, I got to tell you. Okay, so with all of that, uh, here we go on the sermon, pray for me, okay? I've already prayed for the sermon because I just, I just want to jump in and go. Uh, that was long, I know, but um, hope, I think it was necessary. So, before I come back, I start praying. And I start asking the Lord, what do you want me to do and what do you want us to do? It's very clear, and if you don't know this, then understand the season. It's very clear that things are changing at Lake Sam. They're changing all over the east side. With, and now Amazon 2 coming in and everything that's happening. And, you know, we've got an outflux of people that have moved away because they're house rich or because they just don't want to do the pace and the pressure of being in Bellevue. And so we have that outflow happening. And then there's a huge inflow of people and things that are happening and so on. We all know this. And so we're praying and we're staying ahead of the curve as God would lead us to get ready. And so there's a lot of things that are on the drawing board that we're still praying about and thinking about and so on. But when it comes to the sermons, I was asking, what do you want to do next? 
right? You did the Luke thing about empowerment, and then you did this really cool sermon series about who you are and everything else, and God started talking to me about what he wanted to do next, and interestingly, I didn't make any connection between the series that you guys came up with and you, that God led you to do, and what he was leading me to do. I didn't make any connection between it. When you hear that, you're going to go, how did you miss that? But it wasn't until the end that I actually went, oh my gosh, this is a continuation of that. But here's what happened. I want you to think, many of you have visited other churches or been to other churches or all this kind of stuff. You've been to big ones, small ones, everything else. But if you took 100 churches and you took out, for, for the purposes of this conversation, a church like Lake Sam, where the word is so central to the sermon. We might call it an exegetical church. I don't really think we're an exegetical church. But, but the point is a, a, a church that does a lot of scripture. Take that out. And then just look at all the rest of the churches. Because the percentage of churches that do that is probably 15%. Maybe 20, but probably 15 at this point. Mostly, the sermons are being done in another way. There's a thing in the business we call felt need sermons. And that comes from Rick Warren. And the idea was, is what are people's needs? How does scripture apply to them? And so that's the sermon. Now, in those kinds of churches, how many scriptures, how many verses do you think are used in a typical sermon? Again, don't think about us because we, we might use a hundred. But how many verses? Six? Yeah, I was going to say two or three is not unusual at all. Six is six to seven, eight is probably pretty average. And if you got into 15 or 20, people would be saying, that's a little too much. Now, let's be clear. They're very good sermons. The felt need is real. The way that it's being applied is real. The stories that are being told are real. The references that are being made is real. These are superbly, not every time, but these are superbly done sermons that are making a difference in people's lives. Are we clear on that? So this is not a criticism of that as much as it is the law of unintended consequences. And there's been an unintended consequence from that kind of preaching. And the unintended consequence has been a biblical illiteracy. We really don't know. We really don't know our Bible anymore. Here's, where, here's how God did it with me. I'm walking down the road, and I'm, I can picture it still, the Tetons right there, and more importantly, the ski area over there. And, and I'm walking down this road, and God starts talking to me, and he says, he says, you know, Kurt, when you bring one of those Old Testament stories in and you just bring a verse or two in from an old testament story and you bring it in to make your point about the point you're making in the sermon usually from the new testament when you bring that in there to you who has studied that old testament for years who knows the flow of it who gets why one thing comes after another what it means in its context who gets everything about that so that when you use that story or that reference to that story Man, to you, it, it resonates. You know what resonate means? Think of a guitar hitting the chord and every one of those strings is vibrating at a different level for a different reason, creating a full, rich noise. That's resonance. And when you bring that reference over here to this point, in you it has this enormous, multi-layered, multi-faceted resonance and it's like a trump card. You're going, see how true this is? Bam! And then here's what he said. Do you realize that for most people in your congregation, they don't know the story. They don't know the context. They don't know why it's important. They don't know what it is about it that makes it important. 
It's like if you just took one string and you hit it, and even then it might not be exactly on key. They just don't know it. Last week, Kevin Perales, superb sermon, didn't hear it, hear it. Last week, Kevin made reference to, he was talking out of the book of Judges, telling you the book about Gideon. So, you, you know, some people, everybody's, not everybody, but most people have heard of Gideon, but do you really know the story? But even more so, he said, but you know, Judges ends horribly. And he says that, and he said, and I said it, because we've spent a lot of time looking at the Bible, we know exactly what that means. And here's what that means. It means this. It means that in the book of Judges, it's this. This is the pattern of Judges. Because here's what happens. God brings the people into the land, having brought them out of Egypt, and having conquered the land. Now they're in the land. And what happens is being prosperous in the land... I've always said something, and Judges is one of the reasons why I say it. Nothing is harder to survive than prosperity. Because what happens in their prosperity is they start, you know, just bringing in other things that start to detract from God and distract, and, and it starts to go this way, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And pretty soon they're doing things that are really very much not God at all. And they end up getting judged for it, and somebody else will come and take them over. And then the people now being slaves again, like they were back in Egypt, will cry out to God. And God, in his mercy, will answer their prayer by bringing a judge. And the judge is an anointed person who will deliver them from the predicament that they have gotten themselves into. Do you see it? Now, this is what the whole book of Judges is about. But I want to show you something. When he made reference to that, here's what the final scripture says in Judges. In those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, I just described to you what that means, and it's obviously a bad thing, right? People did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't do what God wanted. God told them what to do. They didn't do that. They did something else. They did the world instead, and they ended up in a bad place getting judged because they did what was right in their own eyes. But I want you to, for a second, I want you to forget everything I just said and I want you to look at that statement right there and tell me if that doesn't make for a perfect theme statement for how the world thinks that we should be today. Everybody needs to do what's right in your own eyes. Look, your truth may be different than my truth. What's important to me is that you have integrity regarding your truth. That you stand by it. That you live intentionally by whatever truth it is that you have. You see it? This is what we exalt people for right now. We exalt people for whatever your truth is, and I'm not going to judge your truth. You can't do that. But what I'm going to tell you is, is live, by, live with integrity relative to it. The thing I'm going to judge you for is not your truth, whatever that is, because it's your truth. What I'm going to judge you for is you're not living authentically according to your truth. You're not living consistently, intentionally. You don't have integrity. Do you see it? Isn't that true? So now, if I, made, if I put that scripture up on, the, up on the wall and I said, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, understand something. In this room, and this is a room that is very biblically relatively, but if you did that in another church that, is, that really isn't, they would say, well, that's what you want. <laughs> you want people to be and do that. Do what's right in their own eyes. But the point is, is in the context of Judges, it means exactly the opposite. The resonance, the chord that it's hitting is a quite different chord than what it hits in the person that is thinking about this from the ways of the world. Do you see it? 
So we got a problem. Now I'm going to double down on the problem. Because when I was on my walk, God reminded me of a few years ago when we were talking a lot about cognitive dissonance. Now here's what cognitive dissonance is. This is happening amongst all generations. Cognitive dissonance is there's an idea here and there's an idea here. And there's something about these two ideas that don't actually agree with one another. There's something inconsistent about them. And you're supposed to resolve the tension between them. As one example, this is not a sermon about this, but as one example, because it's the key example that's happening in our world today, LGBTQ. Because on the one hand, what we believe in the world, what we think in the world is, if two people love one another, that's not hurting you, and what's your problem with that? You, you narrow-minded, bigoted, hateful person that you won't let these two people that love each other just simply be together. Let them be. I get that. I understand that. And were it not for this other cognitive issue, I would not have any problem with that whatsoever. I wouldn't. Every time I ever talk about LGBTQ, I always start it the same way. If there is no God, there is no problem, get over it. People will try and use what they call natural law arguments. Well, we wouldn't procreate. There's plenty of people that still like the others, and they'll still have kids. There'll still be plenty of people in the world. But you understand, the cognitive dissonance is there is this Bible, and this Bible does say something about this issue. And it's very clear about it, despite the fact that people try and say it's not, and they get away with saying that because people are so biblically illiterate that they can't read the plain meaning of the words. And they try and explain it away some other way. But the plain meaning of the words is there. So here's the point. I'm not, this is not about LGBTQ, do you understand? I'm just telling you that there's two problems. Now I want you to think about something. Before the constant interruption and constant entertainment that we are subject to, People, let's just, just go back a hundred years, but heck, let's go back to biblical times. Why not? If you're a shepherd and you have to walk to your flock from your home, how far do you have to walk? Depending on where they're grazing, there's somebody that's staying with them, but if you have to walk to them, that walk might be what, an hour, two hours? It's only a few miles, but you have to walk there. You can't hop in a car and turn on the radio and listen to talk radio or music you can't take your phone out when you're walking and dial in the latest podcast that you want to listen to while you're walking there. You can't watch on your phone the, the, the last episode of whatever it is you wanted to watch. You can't turn on Spotify and listen to great worship music. You just have to walk. Oh my God, to the modern mind, you got to be kidding me. What are you doing? You just have to walk? What do you do? Here's what you do. Here's what the mind is built to do. Wow, there's this problem. You know, the world thinks one way about something. It's not just LGBTQ. It's everything. I just want to, I just want to show you something. And I don't, I'm not trying to diss anybody or make you feel bad, okay? But think about reality television and what it communicates about dating at this point in time. All the different shows... 
Think about what it says about how relationships between men and women are supposed to be. Think about how completely at odds, massive, unbelievably at odds, that is, from everything that God has ever said about relationships in Scripture. Not every single part of it. Do you understand something? I'm not trying to say, oh my gosh, I can never watch The Bachelor ever again. Although if you didn't, that would probably be good. But, <laughs> but I do want to say something real clearly. Okay, we call them, by the way, guilty pleasures. It's not that we don't know this. There's something that's in there. But what I want to say is, is what I'm not saying, look, I, you can watch all kinds. Of, you, can, you can do if you're discerning. If you're seeing what's of this is good, because the funny thing is, there's good in almost everything. And there's also, in this world, bad in almost everything. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what we live in. And everything is some admixture of that. So are we discerning about it, or is it just a guilty pleasure? See what I'm saying? Now watch. See, in the old days, what you would do is you would walk, and you would have an hour to process the cognitive dissonance, the difference between these two ideas. And how do I resolve them? And if you did so superficially, you came up with a bad answer. But if you really thought about it, what's good about this? Even though there's something God says isn't right, what is there in this that can be affirmed? Because there is. Do you understand? And then what's this say? Because this is the important thing. This is the real thing. This is the one that's more important than anything, I think. This is the thing that should be telling me what to think. And so for an hour, you would be walking and you'd be working through this stuff because you couldn't listen to music. You couldn't do, get a text that would interrupt your thought process. You couldn't get a notification to go do something. You couldn't get an email that you could work on. You couldn't, you see what I'm saying? You would resolve the dissonance I keep telling you, there's cognitive dissonance all over the world right now, but nobody knows it's dissonant anymore. We just have an idea over here and an idea over here and an idea over here and an idea over here, and we're never reconciling them. Not never, but this is how it's working in the world today. And I'm not the one saying this. When we looked at it, I showed you research where the people that do this say, here's the problem in the modern world. Knowledge is no longer being crystallized. What that means is it's no longer being brought into harmony with itself in a way that creates a superstructure of understanding that helps you how to live your life. Now, having said that, let me say something, and this is critically important. God is three in one, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you do realize that there's a fourth, right? There's a fourth thing in the world. It's not a person. But there's a fourth thing in the world that is absolutely critical. The Word. The Word is, look, the Father technically is on his throne, and Jesus ushers forth from him. The Father is on his throne, and the Holy Spirit ushers forth from him and the Son. There is a third thing that is ushered forth from God. The Word. The Word is not what we think of it right now. Here's what we do in our cognitive dissonant way. Well, I know the Bible says that, but I just don't agree with it. 
that would be, I know you're standing in front of me, Jesus. I just don't agree with you. That's not an option. That's not true. In free will, it is an option. Anything's an option. But here's the way it is. When Jesus is in front of you, teach me. When the Holy Spirit is leading you, I follow you. I don't tell you where to go. I don't tell you where we should go. Now, the truth is we do it all the time, but we're not supposed to. And when we encounter the word, we need to encounter the word as living. It's supposed, those words are supposed to go in there and they're supposed to be constructing and understanding a framework for understanding everything. That's what we're supposed to be doing with the word. But here's what's actually happening with the word right now. What percentage do you think of the whole culture have read the entire Bible? What percentage do you think? Yeah, I, this is actually high, and this is probably what they call reporting error. What that means is if you ask somebody, have you read the Bible all the way through? People will say yes. <laughs> they haven't, but they'll say they have. And you know, you can't say, no, you haven't. <laughs> you have to record their answer. So they, there's a bias up. But here's the truth. 9% of people have read the Bible more than once. 11%, by the way, those add together. So it's 20% of the people in the country that say they have read the Bible all the way through. But here's what's actually happening. How many times have I talked to somebody who's reading, for example, our soap? And they're saying, you know, I just don't know what it's talking about. I get that I'm supposed to be reading the Bible, but I don't understand it. It just doesn't make any sense. I just don't know what it's talking about. You know what I did when I was in Venice, California? And we had a lot of people that were coming out of literally off the street and so on. We had a lot of people. This was, this is the latest, this is the version that we give out right now. We still give this out. But I started buying what was called the Illustrated Bible at that point in time. And it's a comic book. And you know, I'd, and I would give this to people that were 60 years old or that were 14 years old. And here's why. I gave it to my own kids. And here's why. You need to be able to read something that gives you some sense of the story from start to finish. If you just try and read the Bible, you get into Leviticus and you start reading all these lists and numbers and you start reading all these tribes and, the, and you don't have any idea what any of it means and you lose the forest for the trees. You get so deep. Now, once you know the forest, once you know the flow of it, once you know what this book is for and where it's going and why it's going there and what God was trying to say through it, then when you read these stories, oh, they mean a lot. See, now you're plucking on three of the strings. And then you read it three or four times and God starts talking to you about it. And all of a sudden, whenever you read that passage or reference that passage, you're getting the full six string or 12 string guitar that is resonating all the strings in you. You see that? So we still give this out. And if you want one of these, we'll give it to you. Okay, this is part of what we do. Because I believe in this. I believe you've got to know the whole story or you're not going to understand all these little details. It, it would take you a long time to s just read all the way through the Bible and get the whole flow of it. And even then, it would be too long for you to get the flow. So I do, do something to get the flow. Okay? Now let me, let me show you something. In talking about the word, and not just the word as is in the Bible, but the word as is coming through the Holy Spirit, 
The word as is coming through Jesus talking to you and the Holy Spirit talking to you and the Father talking to you. And also that's coming out of the things of the world as the Holy Spirit and Jesus form and shape it into meaning for you. Jesus is being tempted at the very beginning of his ministry. And the first temptation he goes into after fasting for 40 days is Satan comes to him and says, turn that rock into a piece of bread. And tempted by, to turn stones into bread so he might have to afford. Jesus replies, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, there's supposed to be something happening in us. Those words are supposed to be going into us. They're from God, our maker, our creator. And they're supposed to be forming thoughts in us. Do you see it? Let me give you an example, another example. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that's the beginning of the most important gospel, in my opinion. And those are some of the most important words ever uttered in the history of the world. And even right now in this church, there's probably half of you have no idea what that means. What are you talking about in the beginning was the Word? What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. And the word was with God, okay. And the word was God, how's the word of God? Now, some of you have some understanding of it, but let me just do something with you real quick. This will be important for us. In the beginning, what does that sound like? Genesis. You see what's happening here? A Jewish person is talking to Jewish people who are not biblically illiterate. They are being taught all the time, over and over, all kinds of things, Always. So when they hear in the beginning, they don't think, where does that come from and what does that mean? They immediately hit the cord, flash on Genesis. In the beginning. And then the word. What does that mean? Now, we could unpack this, and Kevin is wherever he went to. Kevin knows that you can unpack this in other ways, and one day we probably will. But for today, I want you to understand something. The Jewish people pride themselves and think of themselves, even ones that aren't practicing, even ones that aren't observant, will still think of themselves as a people of the book. Logos. That's the Latin word for what Scripture is. The word. And what's being said is in the beginning, the word. But now watch, watch. In the beginning, the word. How does that fit in Genesis? What did God do? In the beginning... The Lord created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit was hovering over the deep, blah, blah, blah. And then, and God did what? Said. Said. And because of that, John says, in the beginning, the word said. And later on, we were in talking about this, we understand that everything that was made was made through Jesus. Jesus was that hidden part of the Trinity. In the beginning, it was the word. Jesus is the word. When I think of the Bible and I think of Jesus, I think of the same thing. I think the Bible is the written expression of Jesus. That's what the Bible is. That's why it is what it says to be, and we're going to look at a second, God breathed. Every word important, critical for you. That's what the Bible is. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Oh, wait a minute. Good heresy. Jewish now, see, but biblically literate. This, these words that John is saying to these Jewish people are making a difference because that's heresy. God is one. 
There's only one God. All these other nations, all these other lands have more than one God. They, heard, they, they do a host of God. In the, there's not anybody with God. And don't you dare say that the word was God. Because that's heresy. And what John is saying is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. And when he uses the word Lord, it's a plural. And many modern scholars will say, oh, that's just meaning. No, it does mean other things too. But it's a plural for a reason. Because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he's also one. You see it? If you're biblically literate, you just read those words, and those words went, wow. So here's what we need to do. We need to become biblically literate. We need to become not the world. Here's the thing that's going on, particularly in the Western world right now. In our efforts to be relevant, we have minimized the difference between the things of God and the world. We have affirmed what could be affirmed in the world, but we're a little hesitant to bring out the stuff that isn't God because nobody wants to come and hear that. And I can't bring my friend because they're going to get mad because you're not whatever. You see it? The law of unintended consequences as we become biblically illiterate makes a God who is things that the scripture doesn't say that he is. Which is why the, the series that we did this last time was so important. What Justine felt like God said was, is she said, God said, I want them to know who I am. Who I am. I am. Always was. Am now. Always will be. I want them to know me. You need to learn who I am. And so she started going in, taking what? Old Testament passages. And look what happened. We started becoming a people that got it. A people that got more strings. God is healer? What does that mean? Where does that come from? God is banner? What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything to me. God is righteousness? I don't even know what that means. You see it? But all of a sudden we start getting stories from the old that God has placed there on purpose to let us know what that all means. That should be right there in us. But instead what we do is we have become compromised by the world and Jesus says these few quick things about it. Someone living on an entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's spirit. Not just the ones that he's saying to them directly because he's speaking to all, but also what the scripture says. They reject what the scripture says. They make no sense to him. They're foolishness to the natural mind, the worldly mind. He can't understand the revelations of the spirit because they're only discovered by the illumination of the spirit. It goes on. Let your sinful, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Letting the spirit control your mind leads to life. Look, the sinful nature is always hostile to God. In other words, if you take your mind and you put it on the things of the world, and this is what you fill yourself with all the time, then you're going to think that way. <laughs> And what he's saying is, is when you do that, it's death. What you got to do is put your mind on the things of the spirit. 
And the Spirit will bring you life and peace. It'll bring you understanding. It'll bring you discernment about the things of the world. Where the fingerprint of God can be found in the world that can be affirmed. And where there's other differences that need to come into play. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. It never will. That's why those who are still in the control of their sinful nature can never please God. How about this? You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying who? See, it's not just the world. It's that the world has been given to Satan. And Satan is trying to get it to say something to you entirely different from what God means it to say. <laughs> this is the battle that we're in. Do you even think that way? Do we even think that way in today's world? I know a lot of people in this church do, but really as Christians, do we think of it that way? No, what we're doing is we're thinking how to affirm. And affirming is great. It's fantastic. It's phenomenal. God does it. But you can't affirm everything. I affirm you as a drug addict. You can affirm the person, but please don't affirm their addiction. <laughs> Scott Chen, praise God for what you're doing at Union Gospel Mission. It's unbelievable the favor that God has given you and what he wants to do through you. And you are such a man called for a time such as this to make such a huge difference. I'm sorry for doing that. I know you hate it. But the bottom line is, is Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, bless that man, anoint him. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, let him set the captives free. In Christ, let him move in a place that has much against the things of the gospel and let him bring the gospel so purely, so cleanly, so beautifully, so real and so effective that in Jesus' holy and precious name, people clamor for more of that. Let Union Gospel's best days be ahead as they make an ever bigger difference in our community. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. But do you see it? The Satan, the commander of the powers of the unseen world, he's a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of the sinful nature as designed, as tempted, as brought to you by Satan. Our very nature, we're subject to God's anger just like everybody else. And then you are the offspring of your father. Jesus says to who? The Jews. Religious people, a people of the book. To the Jewish people, he says, you're of your father, the devil. <laughs> if there isn't a warning and a care, take care about what you believe and think. In those words, then you are not understanding the resonance that those words are supposed to be strumming in your heart. <laughs> right? Oh, this is a positive message. Right now, everything I've been saying sounds negative, but here's the truth. You don't need to just understand about sin. You need to understand about what God's given. The new nature that he's made you to be, the new creature that he has made you to be, the new person that he's called you to be, the person that he had before the foundation of the world commanded that you would be. We don't just die because we don't understand the sin that's seeping into our lives. We die because we have no knowledge of what we're supposed to be and what we actually are in Christ and we don't live in who he made us to be. God has made you to be the most extraordinary, incredible, beautiful, fantastic, phenomenal, amazing, surpassing thing that the world has ever seen. And all you have to do is raise up into it. And the way that you raise up into it is you get on your knees and you go after God. Watch this. 
All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. Do we understand what that word now means? Does it strike a little few more chords than it did before in you? It's breathed out by God, just like Jesus, just like the Holy Spirit. And that makes it profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I want to bring you words of life, words of truth, words of how things really are so that you get it and you can be in it and make the most difference with it, right? See, now watch, this is one of these moments, the passion of George Mueller. Now I bring this because this is, this is a power chord. This is, you know, who's John Bovey's, Bon Jovi's guitar guy, Richie Sambora. This is, this is the big windmill. When I say George Mueller, you should say, oh my God, what's being said? But here's the truth. Most of you have heard his name in this church. And very few of you understand that because of George Mueller, we have schools. That came from George Mueller. You know why? Because he was taking care of orphans. And he didn't want to take care of them forever. He wanted them to have a life. And so he started teaching them stuff. And the kids that were in the orphanages were excelling above the people that weren't because they were being taught something. And the whole idea of school comes out of George Mueller. And that billions of people have been affected to the positive by what George Mueller did, not to mention the thousands and thousands of orphans in a time when they would literally just be left in the streets like still happens today in Calcutta. Roaming the streets like gangs, dogs, wild animals. And he would bring them in and coolest thing about George Mueller, and there's a lot of cool things about George Mueller, but coolest thing, never asked anybody for a dime. He said, you know the need, you're the one that told me to do this, so you got to provide for it, so you go tell them. Now, he didn't say it that way, because he, he didn't order God around ever. In fact, I want you to show you this. Here's what George Miller did. It was the passion of George Miller to know fully the secrets of prevailing with God, of really being where God wanted him to be, prevailing with God so that God would do everything through him that God could possibly do. That was his passion. And with man, so that it wasn't just God, but it was affecting people. It was making a difference in their life. He believed that God alone, now look at this. You think George Miller, well, he always loved the unsaved. No, what he was saying was, God has got to put the desire for them in my heart. I don't have that naturally. I need him to fill me with a desire to help. And so he said that God alone could create in him a holy earnestness to win souls to impart a compassion for the lost that would become his, George Mueller's, abounding passion for their salvation, just like it was God's. And, now look at this, let this be carefully marked as another secret of this life of service, another secret of how George Mueller became George Mueller, that he began reading the word of God on his knees. What does on your knees mean? Submitted submitted. I'm not going to tell you what you say. I'm going, to, I'm going to work at getting me to understand what you're saying. Do you see it? 
And he found hours of great blessing in such meditation and prayer over a single psalm or story or passage. I am not suggesting that everybody in this place start kneeling every time you read the word. But I do want you to know something. You know, in high church, which has now become ritualized and it doesn't mean anything, but in high church, one of the reasons they call it high church is what they mean about the word. If you were in an Episcopal church that still believed in God, the people stand for the reading of the gospel. You stand up. Why? Because God's going to start talking to you and you better pay attention. Kevin stands up here and I know that there's been some issue with that and, you know, we'll talk. But if you need to, but the fact is, is I asked him to do something, which is I believe something with all my heart, mind, and soul. I believe that if we will take God speaking to us seriously, he'll speak more. My heart, my goal, my everything is designed as much as I possibly can to get God to say more to us. And I believe that when we take what he says seriously, when we think about A, was it from you? And B, if it is, what are we supposed to be doing about it? that he'll speak more. I believe the reason why he doesn't speak is because people will prophesy and nobody cares. And God doesn't speak in a way that's gonna bring you judgment because if you don't do what he says, that's bad. So I have asked the whole worship team to please discern the words. Help us to get in a pattern of doing that. Not to model something, to be something. To be a people who care about when he talks. When, he's, when we read the gospel, we're not going to start doing this, trust me. But, you know, stand up. <laughs> the word is saying something to you. Stand up. Pay attention. And then what they do is they say, the, the, the reader says, the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And the people respond. See, the people are saying, we get that God is now talking to us. So they say, glory to you, Lord Christ. And then after the gospel is read, the gospel of the Lord and the people respond, praise to you, Lord Christ. You see it? Do you think they're taking the word seriously? Now, the irony is the way that it works in the world. It's become ritual. People stand up, sit down, have no idea what they're doing. Right? But that's not what was intended. What was intended is take it seriously. Man, when we read the scripture... I've told you a million times, the Bible is the only book in the world where the author comes with every copy. And he's trying to talk to you. So let him. When you read it, go into it with, what do you want to say to me today through these words? You sent me, Joel, several of your moments where God spoke to you. Every one of them, it was God speaking to him, ministering to him something powerful and important. And you sharing it with me, it did something in me. <laughs> I went, wow, that's phenomenal. Not because you got a good revelation, because God spoke something to me through that. Right? This is what it's supposed to be in our life. The word is alive. It is living. It is God trying to affect us, to imprint, to form us, to shape us. The Holy Spirit is still hovering over the deep. Many of our minds are very deep. <laughs> right? And the Holy Spirit is hovering over the chaos. 
and shaping it into form so that it has meaning and purpose. That's what the Word does with me. The Word informs me. I love the Word. I love the Word every much as I love Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Heavenly Father. The Word is alive to me. So we're going to make it alive to us. And here's how we're going to do it. And I'm going to skip over a whole bunch of slides right now because i got to get to where I want to get you to. But you don't want all the other stuff we got to the point that we needed to make today. So just hang in there with me. You might see some of this some other time. And if you're a real fast reader, you got it, right? I want to say that my concern is that Christians are no longer people of the book. Which means we're not a people of the word. Which means we're not really a people of God. So here's what we're going to do. This is just a trial. We, we don't have this. I, next week when I preach, I probably still won't have the final version of this particular thing. But just like we did, this is just something that Justine did. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start in Genesis. And we're not going to do Genesis like we did Luke. Because frankly, I'll die before we'll get to the end of the book. Okay? I don't have that many years left. We're going to start with Genesis. And what we're going to do, we're not going to skim anything. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the book and say, why is this book here in the Lord? And then we're going to dig deep in a few stories that make it clear. And every we're not going to take more than four to six max in any book. You want to try and do Genesis in six sermons? We're not going to, to be clear, we're not going to be able to do the whole of Genesis. I'm going to look and see if we can't get our soaps to line up more with what we're doing and so on. But the point is, is what we're going to do is we're going to hit it deep. But we're just going to hit it a little bit like this. We're going to take the most important stories, the ones that show us who God is and show us what he's doing and show us why this is here. And we're going to hit. And then we're going to do Genesis. And then we're going to go to Exodus. I don't know. Genesis Origins, I'm pretty convinced, is it. Exodus, I'm not sure if Journeys is it yet. But we're going to find these little taglines that say, this is what it's about. And then we're going to take another four or six weeks on that one. And then we take another four or six weeks and another four or six weeks. Do you see what we're going to do? And we're going to go through these books. And what we're doing is, is that you're going to be getting the overarching storyline through the stories that he wants to make. And this is what the, the stuff that I over did. The last thing that God did with me, and this is very important, I'm doing it real quick, instead of all the scriptures I did. I want you to think about a Jewish person and what they experienced, because this is what the Lord showed me on my walk. He said, even if a person is basically a non-observing Jew in their family, they're being exposed to the things of God, of the book, all the time. Every single Friday night, what happens? Sabbath or Shabbat dinner. And I was going to show you all of these things that happen. All these, I think there's like, there's like 30 things that happen just in the dinner. And God and who he is is being proclaimed every single Friday night to the people in that community. And then the next day you take Sabbath because God works six and rested one. See it? And then you go on from there. 
you go to Passover. You go to the, the first celebration of the year, the, the big three, Passover. I think Passover is going to be our Easter sermon. I think God gave it to me this morning, and if, if, I, if I'm right, I don't know, it'll take me a day or two to pray about it. But, but I think he's given me the most extraordinary Easter sermon. Where we're going to look at something, a revelation about how Jesus is found in things that were thousands of years before Jesus established, 1,500 years before Jesus. And the, all of the symbolism that's in there, that's Christ. And then you look at the next one, 50 days later, what is it? It's festival, Pentecost. Now, see, even if, and, then, and then at the end of the year, what is it? Atonement. Sin. Now, if you just look at what you do on Friday nights, what you do on Saturdays, what you do every year in the festivals, if you just look at that, even if you're not an observant Jew, you have an enormous amount of information that's coming to you and informing you and making and forming your mind in ways that make you understand things about God, even if you're rejecting them. We don't have anything like that in the Christian world. We're going to go after who is he, what he does, why he does it, how he does it, who we are, because we're going to make us a people of the book. Good? Okay. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift up you leading us. We are your sheep and we hear your voice. By your strong right arm, we do the things that you want us to do. And God, whenever we're in your way, whenever that we are impeding what you want to do, in Jesus' holy and precious name, your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' holy and precious name, this is what we are going to do as a family, as a community, as a people of God that you are leading because you're the one that is trying to grow us closer to you. And thank you for that forever, Lord God. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift up this time. We lift up what we're going to do and we say, God, lead us. Take us on a journey and make us a people of the book the living word in Jesus' name. Reach down in front.